week of August 8th, 2021, this is Showbiz Sandbox, episode 551, the podcast that brings you all the dirt on the news making headlines around the entertainment world. In Los Angeles, I'm Jay Sperling Reich. Oh, don't be modest. You're just back from Hawaii, is what you want to say. Yes, true, but I'm trying to, you know, not make everybody feel jealous. And I'm just back from Atlanta. Woohoo! And I you are? Weekend off. I am Michael Giltz. Okay. <laughs> I'm back from Atlanta, visited friends. I stayed in an empty house, visited another friend outdoors, had a good time, ate outdoors, and uh, relaxed, caught up on the Olympics. What a crazy Olympics. Simone Biles makes the cover of People Magazine for winning bronze, and deservedly so. I'm pretty sure that was like all planned ahead of no, time. No, absolutely no? not. Okay. No. They wanted her on the cover, but they thought she was going to be winning gold. And they could have easily decided to say, well, all right, you didn't win gold. You didn't win a team all around. Uh, you know, we maybe we don't want to put you on the cover. Maybe we'll put the girl who did win the all around. But instead, they stuck with Simone Biles because she raised the visibility of mental health issues and did a lot of good at the Olympics. This was not an Olympics about winning lots of gold. It was about helping others, people collapsing and trip, helping them up and working with each other, trying to stay safe and sane amidst a crazy environment. So I thought it was a cool choice. When, now, I, you'll have to forgive me. I was in a weird time zone where things just didn't happen. So who tripped and fell and helped? And what, what oh, was that all about? And race, there was a, a race where uh, uh, was an Israeli runner accidentally tripped up a U.S. runner um, in, a, in a race and lost both of their chances. And the U.S. runner had a shot at, you know, at meddling, if not winning gold. And you know, they stopped and they helped each other get over the finish line. And the guy who accidentally tripped the other guy stopped and let him cross first. You know, it was just, there were lots of shows because the heat was tremendously hot, way, way too hot. They should not have been having the games in that environment. So a lot of people dealing with a lot of heat and mental stress and a lot more talk about the mental health issues that athletes face at that level. It's crazy. You work for four years and you've got like two minutes to perform. And if it doesn't work, you're screwed forever. <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. Yeah. But I, I loved, while you were gone, a jewel heist. There was a jewel heist in Paris. <laughs> I love this. I, I was not a part of it. I know I wasn't in town, but I was not in Paris either. There was a well-dressed older man caught on camera coming out of the jewelry store in a nice gray suit. Uh, his getaway car was an electric scooter. <laughs> and there were potential okay. witnesses nearby having coffee and ca sitting in cafes, as French people will. And the cops said, hey, what did you see? And they said, uh, nothing. Jean-Claude Van Damme just walked into that <laughs> the optician nearby. We were all looking at him. <laughs> Look, Jean-Claude Van Damme is over there. So I like to think he was in on it. You know, they said, Jean-Claude, <laughs> you go over there, distract everybody. They'll look at you and we'll steal the jewels and get away. <laughs> of course, he's not involved, but I wish you were. <laughs> that would actually be, I could see, you know what? Mm -hmm. Somebody get Jean-Claude Van Damme's agent on the line. I've got a story I want to pitch. <laughs> exactly uh that's it you know that's what happened while you were gone but i'd love to know what are we going to talk about well this week on showbiz sandbox we've got a lot to cover because somebody and i'm not going to name names took last week off okay it's me i'm talking about but you know two weeks of box office two weeks of streaming brace yourself for a lot of numbers and hopefully they're good numbers covid certainly didn't take a week off so those are bad numbers by the way good numbers when it comes to box office Bad numbers when it comes to COVID. As I relaxed and partied by the pool and the ocean, the Delta variant created havoc with people's lives and less importantly, but more germane to this podcast, the entertainment business. We'll look at 
who is requiring vaccinations and what it all means for Broadway and touring and production on movies and television and the like. Oh, and let me pull out the soapbox. Sexual <laughs> misconduct. Yeah, and, and social justice is it's making headlines and Michael has something to say about it. Will he be running for governor? Well, sadly, no. Will New York Andrew Cuomo be heading for the hills? Let's hope this podcast is outdated. And the answer to that very important question will be a little bit more clear, but definitely it won't be uh, not yet. Probably. We're not sure. On Inside Baseball, we are looking closely at the battle royale between studios and actors. Big stars are used to big paydays, like you and I, Michael. We're used mm-hmm. to big paydays. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I like the big, not the snack size payday. I like the yeah. big pay. Big. Yeah. Grande size payday. Uh, and Baby Ruth's, too, and maybe a Snickers bar. Oh, we're not talking about that kind of payday, are we? Not the candy no, bar? No. Supersize oh. me. That's what we're saying. Supersize okay. me on the salary. Well, the stars are used to big paydays, but in an era of streaming and self-dealing, are those days numbered? And how stupid really is Disney? Or more very, importantly, their PR department. Yeah. Very. No, not the PR department. It's everybody. Don't blame it on the PR people. They well, didn't make some course, decision willy-nilly. You know, during Big Deal or Big Whoop, we're going to discuss some of the week's top headlines. But first, as always, we turn it over to entertainment journalist extraordinaire Michael Giltz to fill us in on last week's box office. That's right. We're looking at box office around the world. We have a link to ComScore in our show notes. Then we pull information from everywhere we can. And the number one movie is The Suicide Squad. It opened last week in a few territories, just about $7 million. This week it opened wide, worldwide, and it made $65 million. It's at $72 million worldwide. And, of course, it's also on HBO Max right now. Okay, so two, a couple things. Okay, Quick, wow. Uh, um, oh, do you want to talk about Suicide Squad after we're done with the whole rundown? Sure. Okay. And number two is Jungle Cruise. That made another $60 million this week. It's at $120 million worldwide. Plus, in its opening week, it made $30 million on premium video on demand. No idea what it made this week, but probably not as much. At number three is a Hong Kong thriller called Raging Fire. This opened last week and had a great hold. It uh, stars Donnie Yen as a straight-edged cop who is not going to be corrupted. This week it made $45 million. It's at $82 million total. So it grew over last week, had a very good hold, and looking like it's going to have a nice, strong run. At number four is F9, Fast and Furious 9. That made another $20 million. That's at $660 million worldwide. That is an honest-to-goodness hit. It tripled its budget. I'm sure it had a big PR thing, but still an actual no-holds-barred hit film from box office alone. It could have made a billion dollars, but by God, it made $600 million. Way to go, Fast and Furious 9. Now, can and, I say something about this movie? Sure. You just said something very important. Box office alone. It was not on pay-per-view or not on PVOD. It and is now. The, it is now. It as is of now, last yes. week. Yeah, 20, 20 bucks. Week. Yeah. Yeah, and here's the thing. Uh, there was hardly any pirating of this movie that wasn't a a horrible cam version, and so just something to think about. I think with the ad, uh, the advent of streaming, people are probably even less willing to watch crappy cam videos. You know, when there's I so agree. many movies available at the, and you don't even have to pay for them. You just go to Netflix. You know, why would you bother? I I never would bother, but these days I just can't imagine. But that's interesting to point out. Uh, Right below that is old. I wonder if there are any uh, 
there probably aren't any good pirated copies of old, the M. Night Shyamalan horror flick, because it is only a theatrical play right now. It made $16 million this week. It's at $65 million worldwide. It was a pretty low start for an M. Night Shyamalan film, but guess what? It only costs $18 million to make, so this is another winner from box office. Then there's the family-friendly Space Jam, A New Legacy. That made $16 million. It's at $135 million worldwide. It cost $150 million to make, so that's not great. But it is already out on HBO Max. Then Black Widow, we'll get to that on Inside Baseball. That had a, I think this is this week, it had another 50% drop worldwide in box office. It made $16 million this week. It's at $360 million worldwide. Plus, of course, it's available on Disney Premium Video On Demand. Does it have a Chinese release date? Uh, No, you know, that's been that's been kicked around. So I don't think it has an official Chinese release date yet. So that ain't good because, again, it's available on demand, which means there are pristine pirated copies out there, which really is going to undercut the Chinese market. Uh, then there's upcoming summer, a Chinese film. It's a, it looks like from the trailer, what I could gather, it's about two people pretending to be together, a faux romance. And then of course it turns real. That's what happened with Sperling and me. <laughs> so it, it made $14 million. That's a joke. It made I know, 14, I know. Yeah, you know, I better make sure they know $14 million <laughs> this week. It's now at $35 million and counting. Then there's Green Snake. That made another $10 million. That's the Chinese animated flick. It's at just under $70 million. But again, a low, low budget movie. The original only cost $12 million. So this is probably profitable as well. Looking down, is there anything to talk about? Snake Eyes has fallen hard and fast. It's not in a lot of territories, but it made $5 million this week. It's at $29 million and counting. The people who see it do not like it. The reviews are terrible. Henry Golding. Still a star, probably, but this isn't the property to make him a franchise. The Green Knight with Dev Patel, that opened up to mixed but intriguing reviews. Arty, arty fair, I guess. Our in-house film critic Aaron Rich said no. (laughs) No to the Green Knight. (laughs) It made $5 million. It's at $12 million and counting. Now a success story, Matt Damon's film Stillwater, which is not based on a true story, but they sure as heck could have done a better job making that clear. Because review after review and story after story mentions Amanda Knox. That's not fair. She's upset about it. And they did a really poor job of setting that up. They should have gone the extra mile to say, this has nothing to do with that. She's an innocent. This is completely different. It's inspired by a lot of different things. And it has nothing to do with what she went through because the character in this movie is guilty or seems to be guilty. So it's, it's, they, they really messed that up in PR wise. They dealt with Matt Damon's comments about homophobia. They dealt with the movie's comments and painting Amanda Knox poorly when she's not happy about it. It's all a mess except at the box office. Had a really good hold. It's made $10 million so far. It's an arty small film. It's made $10 million, doing quite well. Had a really good hold. Doubled its box office from that last week to this. So there's lots of other movies. You can check out our chart. But one good news for exhibitors is that Paramount seems to be embracing the 45-day window. They say, ultimately, that's what we think will work. We're never going back to 90 days, unless it's a big, big hit. But we think a 45-day window makes sense. I agree. And they say right after that 45-day window, we're going to go right into Paramount+. Plus. That's the plan. Of course, unless they have something like Titanic that rolls and rolls and makes money week after week and month after month. But Paramount does seem to be embracing the 45-day window. Other good news, LA film and TV production hit pre-COVID highs. We'll have to see how long that lasts. And bad news, China. 
China is capping film attendance at 75% in low-risk areas, and they're suspending it in high-risk areas. No word yet on what cities are being affected. No, that well, is yeah, not is. good news for the future. Oh, I haven't seen the cities. Tell Nanjing, us. yeah. Nanjing is. Uh, and, and I have to say, you know, hand it to, to China. They have a little bit of an outbreak, and I'm, I, I shouldn't make light of it by saying a little bit of an outbreak. They're not, basically it's a saying, big outbreak. yeah, everybody, get into your homes. We're testing 9 million people over the next week. Well, it's easier to do when you're a, an authoritarian government. Oh, that's you know, a, just complimenting little... those dictators sure know how to keep their border secure. Yes, they slaughter anybody who steps over it. <laughs> yes, we don't that's... do that in a real country with real rights. But yes, yes, authoritarian governments are pretty good at imposing their will. But you wanted to talk about the Suicide Squad, which made $65 million this week. What did you want to say? Well, okay. So for all intents and purposes, I've heard this movie is really, really good. Yes, our in-house film critic says, yes, I liked it. Okay, and I also heard good stuff about The Green Knight, which, to which Aaron Rich said, no. Eh. But, uh, you know, so I'd like to see both of these movies. Now, I wonder two things. One, if it was only in theaters, how much more would people have, have gone to see it? Well, plus the pandemic. I'm not plus looking to go pandemic. back inside a theater. So it's everything yeah. is, we can't draw too many big numbers. We can't draw lots of conclusions from streaming other than the very logical idea that, look, <laughs> if there are two adults at home and they can sit at home and watch a movie for the same price as going to the theater and they're in a big city, they might very well do that. <laughs> so, right. you know, yeah, that's got to hurt box office. Now, here's what I also something I would like to point out. Uh, you, you have two examples now of Disney releasing a movie both day and date on pvod and in both instances the film made a little bit more in box office but almost as much in pvod which is kind of what warner brothers alluded to when they said you know here's what we found out if a lot of people go and pay to see it in the movie theater a lot of people are watching it on hbo max and when not a lot of people go and see it in the movie theater not a lot of people are watching it on hbo max which i, I remember when that statement was made by the head of distribution at Warner Brothers, I could see him almost like realizing halfway through that sentence, like, oh, so not a lot of people paid to see. Okay, I probably shouldn't have started this sentence <laughs> because that was said during a week where, and I can't remember what movie it was, but it, not a lot of people went to see it in a movie theater. Popular so movies was, are popular everywhere. However, when you give people the opportunity to skip two or three times to see the movie and, and take it right to their home, you're losing out on a lot of chances to make them pay for it. When you have a movie in theaters for a couple months, people will pay to see it. Then they'll pay to see it to buy it again on Blu-ray, or they'll pay to see it on premium video on demand, or they'll pay five bucks to rent it when they want to see it on demand, or they'll wait to see it on their streamer of choice and be happy to pay that monthly fee to see it again. So when you're cutting out two or three of those stages, you're losing money, even for a that's exactly film. That's exactly what Richard Gelfond, the CEO of IMAX, said. He said, you know, it used to be these studios sold the movie five times. Yeah. And now they're selling it like twice. So yeah. he thinks even that a popular gets, movie. Yeah. Even a popular movie, you're going to make less money. Yeah. And that's why he thinks this little experiment. OK, get your streaming revenue up. Eventually, Wall Street's going to tire of those numbers and you're going to have to go back to selling the movie to everybody five times. Well, Wall Street won't tire the numbers because they're morons, but they will notice that the numbers aren't exploding all the time because they got right. confused by the pandemic. Oh my God, look at that. Numbers going to be, they're going to add a million or two million. And, well, that's not exciting. They're going to get bored and move on. But the important thing to say about the Suicide Squad is it's not on premium video on demand. If you've got HBO Max, you can watch it for free. 
So yeah. that's a really big pull away. Do I want to go to the drive-in to see a double bill of Suicide Squad and Snake Eyes? I'm thinking about it, but I also know I can just turn it on on my TV and watch it whenever I want. So that's I'll tell you one change. thing. Uh-huh. I am going to go out of my way, even if this movie is horrible, I'm going out of my way to see Free Guy. And that's a Disney film because it's a Fox movie, right? I think it was a yeah. Fox film. So Disney's going to be technically Disney's going to be releasing it and they're not releasing it PVOD. So I'm going to go out of my way to go to the movie theater and pay my money to see that movie and prove yeah. just me alone. Just me alone is going to yeah. make Disney change their mind. Plus, you really like Ryan Reynolds. Come on. Oh, come admit on. It. Those right. dreamy so China, eyes. So China is capping film attendance at 75% in some areas, and they're suspending it in some major cities uh, because of the Delta variant. And the pandemic and vaccinations are roiling the entertainment industry. Here's the latest. Broadway. West Side Story will not be returning to Broadway. I think that's a smart move financially, unfortunately. But the shows that are opening on Broadway, you have to show vaccine proof and you have to mask while you're sitting there. For Netflix productions that are filming in the U.S., you got to be vaccinated. And they're hoping to do that in the U.K. and other countries as well. If you're an employee of Google, especially at the corporate headquarters, you have to be vaccinated. Disney employees at headquarters, you have to be vaccinated. Federal employees, you got to be vaccinated or submit to, I think, weekly testing. If you're a Walmart employee, you don't have to get vaccinated. Only the people in the corporate offices, which is a shame because most of Walmart employees are on the front lines dealing with people. They really should be requiring them to get vaccinated. Uh, this, the idea that people are going to quit and get a job elsewhere, they're not going to be able to quit and go elsewhere if everybody's requiring a vaccination. So, you know, it would be okay. And it's a shame that the frontline employees aren't going to be required to get vaccinated. They need it most. Want to go to Sundance? You got to get vaccinated. Want to go to most Danny Meyer restaurants in New York City? You got to get vaccinated. Want to make a movie with Sean Penn? You got to get vaccinated. If you go to a Disney park, you're going to have to start wearing masks again when you're indoors. If you're in New York City, you're going to have to show proof of vaccination to do most anything indoors. Going to the indoor dining, going to a gym, going to a movie, going to Broadway, going to a concert, going to stand up. And I think that's great. You should mandate vaccines, not masks, wherever possible. What do and you, you know, think? I think, uh, look, this is this is not the first time that a government, whether it be the U.S. or or otherwise, will have mandated. Okay, and I know there's no mandate yet. It's a it's a requirement. It will turn into a mandate once the FDA approves the vaccine officially. Mm -hmm. But it will not be the first time that, and I'll just stick with the U.S. here, that the U.S. has mandated vaccines. They did it for smallpox. They did it it, We do it every year for kids going to school. You get a lifetime vaccination against polio, measles, mumps, diphtheria, typhoid, rubella. We get all the time. You go overseas, you got to get vaccinated for certain things. It's either required by the country you're headed to or required to get back into the U.S., it's just common sense. It's just health and science. And, and, and let then, me tell you, for those who are afraid of getting the vaccine because of the side effects, let me tell you something about the DTAP, um, which I think is diphtheria, tetanus. Typhoid. And, oh, tetanus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, so I, I, I went to, uh, to uh, a dermatology appointment, just a regular checkup, and the, the person said, oh, I see you're due for your, your DTAP vaccine. Uh, you know, you're, you're a year and a half overdue. Can we give you one? And I thought, Hey man, I'm, this is my year of vaccines. All right. Give it to me. (laughs) You know, I, I did not feel the COVID-19 vaccine. Like I, I actually said to the person, okay, you can give me the vaccine now. And they said, Oh, I did that already. 
Yeah, okay. the needles are very small. Yeah. And and um this DTAP vaccine didn't really feel it going. The next day I was like, oh my God, my arm's gonna fall off. Like this yeah. hurts way more than this COVID. Like I you know, my swollen arm. I was a little tired the next day. That thing was it. way worse than the COVID vaccine. Well, everybody's different. And the more of a reaction you have, that means the better your immune system is. That means your immune system is doing what it needs to do. So you're gonna have more defense. So if you feel a little tired for two days, like I did. That's a good sign. If you're, if you, if you know, you have those react, that means you're young, you're healthy, you have a good, strong immune system, and it's building up resistance so that the next time when you get the second jab, uh, you will, you usually, uh, you know, that's when you have a stronger reaction because up oh, there it is, you got to build up a defense and then, you know, you'll be okay. So it's, it's a good sign. It means your immune system is working. I and guess maybe three vaccines in a year. My body was like, "Oh no, not a, not one of these guys again." Put them up. <laughs> I don't, put them up. I don't, I don't think that's a problem. You you want to space them out a little bit. Just talk to your doctor. But you're gonna have to space out your attendance at the New Orleans Jazz Fest. That was canceled again. Garth Brooks, kind of a schmuck. He was telling. He was going back on tour. I like Garth Brooks, but he was like, I like "Hey, come, I like, come on, get back in the game." He was telling other major artists, "You guys should be touring." And we're like, "It's a little early, Garth." And now he's like. Yeah, I guess it's a little early. So he's reevaluating his stadium tour. So that's good to do. So I'm glad he's doing that uh, and holding back on the hubris about everybody else needs to get in the game. <laughs> it's, so that's the pandemic. And then we have social justice. A lot happened in two weeks. Louis C.K., he's launching a national tour amidst a pandemic. Oh, well, has he shown remorse over his past admitted horrific behavior? Or has he just kind of kept his head down and hope people wouldn't care if he waited long enough? Kind of the latter. We'll have to see. Well, if but people... we all knew that was going to happen, right? We all knew he'd say, he might have actually done the work and tried to become a better person instead of just shutting up and then waiting and going, yeah, I'm, I'm back, <laughs> you know, making some jokes about it. No, he might have actually learned from it and tried to become a better person, but we're not really getting that vibe from him, are we? No, not at all. Right. Chris Wu, we talked about him two weeks ago. This is a Canadian Chinese star. He's a huge social media personality in China, embroiled in what looked like a possible scandal. It was very odd and sketchy. Uh, first, we heard about multiple reports of women, underage women, saying that he was, you know, had, had gotten them drunk and taken advantage of them. Then it turned out it was all coming from one woman. There was one woman making the accusation and claiming there were like six or seven other women she knew about. Then the police stepped in and say, she's just a fraudster. And talking about this other con artist who was conning her and conning him, a crazy, weird story, which just made us say, look, anybody for anybody they deserve you pause like you're a big company you've got to deal with them yes i can understand pausing your ad campaign but don't pull the rug out from under them just from the first word like wait let you know justice take its course and the police jumped in and said she's just trying to boost up her social media and people said okay but you sure came to that conclusion really quickly now two weeks later just after the police peremptorily cleared him of anything they have now taking him into custody he's being detained on suspicion of rape we're like what happened did someone new come forward is there new evidence no all we know is that the police said they detained him based on online reports so they saw some stuff online well i guess we better i mean is this a reaction to the backlash they got for clearing his name so quickly yes this whole thing is a disaster <laughs> uh no idea what's going on whether he's a a uh, person who skated the edge or just is being taken advantage of or is a horrible person. We got to wait for that. But this is a, a whole ugly, ugly Megillah. But I did find out his nickname is the boy from the comic book. 
don't know, know what why. that means. It means he's so pretty. He looks like he came from a comic book. That's how pretty he is. <laughs> okay. The <laughs> baby got in trouble. He's a rapper. He made some slurs about people with AIDS and gay people. And he was like, oh, what's the big deal? Then he made fun of people, taunting him for that. Then he pretended to apologize and posted this weird video, which seemed to be making fun of gay people and AIDS again. And suddenly he was dropped from Lollapalooza and then the Governor's Ball in New York City, then the Day in Vegas Festival, all within 24 hours. Then DeBaby decided, maybe I should try apologizing again and being a little more sincere. Didn't quite take. He's now been dropped from the iHeart Radio Fest in Austin City Limits. And you know what? This guy's a rapper. Not a genre <laughs> known for lots of positive gay imagery. So changing times, that's for sure. But Ron Meyer, on the good news, you can be redeemed. Look at Ron Meyer. Did you hear about this? No, I, I mean, Ron Meyer, again, worked with him uh, many, 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 many years ago. Uh, when he You're was not actually that many years old. Yeah, uh, cra- well, he was a, a CIA agent at the time. But, uh, of course, he ran Universal Studios for, for eons uh, for 25 years and then uh, got caught up in some, like, weird sex scandal. Well, he was using his position wrongly, and he's a disgraced Hollywood exec who had to leave his job. And now he's consulting for the country of Qatar. Never mind its use of enslaved labor, floggings, enforced prostitution, criminalizing gay men, or utter lack of any genuine democracy. He's on board. And his pal, Barry Diller, chums around with them. So Ron Meyer is now being paid a reported $6 million a year to give the country of Qatar advice on investing in the movie industry. And my advice for free is don't. When they come to you and say, bankroll our slate of films, just say no. If you want to invest in the movie industry, buy stock. Otherwise, stay out of it because they will take you to the cleaners. They always do. Yes, that is very true. It doesn't matter what country you're coming right. from. <laughs> Absolutely not. You new money. Oh, I've got a great project. We've been dying to make this movie about bees for years now. You're just the man to bankroll it. A passion project. <laughs> Barry Diller, by the way, also hopes Scott Rudin can be redeemed. He feels like he's been in the he's been in the wilderness long enough and get back to work. It's been weeks. Barry, it's been weeks that Scott Rudin has been on. He's already like, can he come back already? For God's sake. Positive change can happen. Look at Activision, the company behind World of Warcraft. 800 employees walked out in protest because there was a top exec who repeatedly, repeatedly grabbed and fondled women in front of other male employees who would then try to interfere, but nothing ever happened. In fact, the guy was so bad, his office was called the Cosby Suite. Yikes. How, how, I've got to be honest, I I know, how do people like this exist and get through life? Because the company did nothing about it, and at best slapped him on the wrist, and if you spoke up, you were the one who paid a price. I I just don't get, like, how, like, what synapse misfires in your mind where you think, yeah, that's, it's okay to do that. (laughs) Well, you see everybody else doing it, and people above you did it, and now it's your turn. Unbelievable. Now they're paying a price. The head of the company has been kicked out of their job, and a duo of a man and a woman are taking over the top spot at Activision. Oh, and of course, if we're going to talk about social justice, there's Cuomo. Yikes. (laughs) Yikes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, never been a fan. No, we don't need to. Yeah. Boy, you you were away. Were you streaming at all while you were in vacation in Hawaii? Did you have a chance to just stare at a screen and get away from the family? I, I no tried Olympics, not to. No I, anything? I just tried to stare at the ocean and, and I kept going, you know, same program. I, there's nothing to watch on this ocean. <laughs> <laughs> well, on streaming over the last two weeks, the big hit again is Manifest. This is an NBC show that went on to Netflix, and it's been number one for four weeks now. Last Wait, didn't week, they cancel this show? 
Just as it went to Netflix, it got canceled. Now it's definitely going to come back. People are angling to see who can get the rights to it. That's why people will still license shows to Netflix. It's a huge platform. It can light a fire under your property, give it a whole new visibility in life, just like it did for one day at a time, just like it's doing for Manifest. 1.8 billion minutes were streamed last week of Manifest. It's been number one for four weeks in a row. It's the biggest thing in streaming right now, as far as we can tell. Again, we're looking at Nielsen numbers. They are reporting only on Amazon Prime, Disney+, Plus, Hulu, and Netflix. And some of that they're doing on their own without full cooperation. They're not covering the streaming that was done on laptops, which is the way I watched the Olympics. And part one of that Hulu documentary with Paul McCartney and uh, Rick Ooh. Rubin, it's, it's not, they're not catching stuff you watch on your phone, but they're doing the best job they can with what they have. Hopefully other streamers will jump on board. But right now, when you look at the top 10 of streaming overall, you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven of the top 10, or 11 rather, are Netflix. You also have Amazon with The Tomorrow War. That's over a billion minutes. You've got Loki on Disney+. Plus. That hit a new peak of over a billion minutes last week. I think it's on episode five right now because, of course, we're getting streaming numbers from a few weeks ago. Luca on Disney+, Plus is still doing very well. Uh, Grey's Anatomy always does. And Black Widow has popped up onto the chart. It made its debut. 541 million minutes were streamed of that movie. That's equivalent to about 4 million views. Is so, that PVOD or is that just... That's, that's PVOD, yeah. Okay. That's PVOD. So people paid $30 and they streamed that movie about 4 million times. So you might figure that that's, that's 4 million views. That could be six or eight million tickets, right? Because you figure there's probably at least two people on average yeah, watching correct. the movie at a time. So that could be six or eight million tickets lost at the box office, but they get 85% of that take. So, you know, they're doing the numbers and figuring it all out. And Downton Abbey is back on board. There it is in the top 11, I believe. That's been bubbling into the charts. I was talking about Downton when they announced the movie was filming and they announced the release date, which is now March of 2022. That got people to go back and start watching Downton Abbey again. So we've got the fine, total- fine. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. Okay. For <laughs> we've, got sake. The, we've got the big chart there. We've got a breakdown of the big chart combined from last week. And then we also have a breakdown for this week's streaming numbers, which are July 5th through July 11th uh, for original series, acquired series and movies and licensed stuff brings in big numbers. And so does original content. You know, it's a, it's a big deal. And, and Lucifer at this point is, is original content. Lucifer, speaking of which you said how like, Netflix can breathe new life into properties. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we're doing some development at, at, at Celluloid Junkie, and our developers are in uh, they're in India. Germany. Oh, no, okay. no, they're in India. And uh, actually, Germany, ironically, speaking of Lucifer, is well, that's the only... That's, right, that's a big place, yeah. Well, and it's the only territory that Warner Brothers didn't sell to Netflix. So Netflix has Lucifer for every single territory except Germany, because they make more money in Germany than it costs to produce the show. So they actually break even in Germany, sell it to Netflix and make a profit. So the reason I mentioned the developers in India is it doesn't air on TV in India, yet all of the the sample, you know, when they're doing their testing, their quality assurance testing on the new development, mm-hmm. all of the, the 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 names that they use, Lucifer Morningstar, like they're, <laughs> all, they're all Lucifer Hilarious. characters. And I thought, well, how do they even know that? Well, because of Netflix. Yeah, it's sort of a acquired slash original series because they have some earlier seasons that they acquired and they've been producing original seasons. So yeah, that shows number top 10 on original series. Uh, so yeah, another big hit. I did say big. 
Oh, if you said big, then it must be time for big or big. Oh, wait, no, it's big deal or big whoop. So two bigs, but one is a big deal. The other is a big whoop. Now, big deal or big whoop is our weekly segment where we discuss the top headlines in entertainment and tell you whether they're really important or just overhyped nonsense. Our first story. Well, I think, Michael, I'm going to put you in charge of finding our next host. (laughs) Because when George W. Bush was running for president, he asked close confidant and family friend Dick Cheney to form a search committee and scope out the best possible running mates to be vice president. Cheney took a careful and thorough look around and he said, uh, W, well, after serious consideration, I believe the best candidate is, uh, is me. It's me. <laughs> in that spirit, Jeopardy executive producer Michael Richards has been key in looking for someone to step into the big shoes of Alex Trebek. After months of guest hosts and instant feedback from fans, Doc Oz, that's a no. Miam Bialik, eh, maybe. Uh, LeVar Burton, what happened to him? I thought he was like, he was like gunning for it, but I don't know what happened. Uh, well, Richards returned to the big wigs and he said, honestly, let me check my notes here. I believe the best candidate is, uh, let's see here. Uh, yeah, no, it's me. It is me. And so it came to be. Big deal or big whoop? Well, it was a big, big whoop, but now it's a big deal because it's not so smooth sailing because he's been involved in some pregnancy discrimination lawsuits uh, derived from his time at The Price is Right and elsewhere in years past where he's been a producer. He's also been a game show host in the past. So his past history has come back to haunt him. He was not directly being sued, but he was named in one or two of the suits. They've both been settled out of court ultimately. So uh, money was paid out. Uh, but Drew Carey has publicly supported him. A, a top female producer on The Price is Right has supported him. Their argument is, look, the models on Price is Right were nobodies. They were just bodies. And one of the things that Michael Richards did was make them part of the show. They spoke more. They interacted. We got to know them. All of them have been pregnant since Drew Carey joined the show. They've all been celebrated on air and off in terms of their pregnancy and childbirth and baby showers. He's like, he made them actually people on the show rather than just little models that turned and pointed to things. And so he says it's unfair. She says it's unfair. He says these lawsuits do not reflect who I am. But that involves thinking that the people who said them lie about what he said to them when they said I'm pregnant. Uh, but it's ugly. Well, Whether also will- keep in mind that that when you're a lawyer in a lawsuit, you name everyone. Everybody that's ever like the janitor, you're naming the janitor because right, but the women it's just are quoted saying that. that when she told him she was pregnant with twins, he said, are you effing kidding me? I can't effing believe this. What the F, you know, angry and upset that she was pregnant because they had just oh, fired okay. most of them and kept five of them. And they were the plan was to make them on the air more. Now one of them's pregnant. And he saw that as a big problem. That's what she says, him directly saying that. So uh, not great. It may not derail him. Maybe this move with Drew Carey and the other woman, whether he deserves it or not, I don't know. I thought he did a good job as a host. I don't know about okay. all this other stuff, but there you go. Um, How did LeVar Burton do? Because like he literally was on a like a publicity campaign to get this Well, job. He, he did fine. I thought he was one of the better ones. I really did think that um, uh, Buzzy Cohen, one of the one of the contestants turned host did really well. I thought Anderson Cooper did great. I thought he was really good. He was very happy to be there right on point. Maybe he's too busy, uh, but I thought he did really well. And I thought Mike Richards was surprisingly good. It was very, just fit right in. You know, it's about the contestants, not about you. You didn't feel the need or desire to like change things or inject something. And he didn't need time to settle in because he'd been there a long time. So that was certainly an advantage. But I, I, I had said after the show, wow, that, that guy is quite good. You know, uh, it's <laughs> funny that he, you know, he would 
I did give them a pointer, though, something that's bothered me for years. Do you ever watch Jeopardy? I do. At the end, if you are negative money, they kick you off the air. You, you can't stay around for Final Jeopardy. They make you leave the room. It's just I'll so just humiliating. Leave them. It's just so leave humiliating. Them. Well, no, I say, and last week, actually, very briefly, it looked like both of the contestants were going to be have zero, less than zero. Only at the last second did they both manage to make go, get into the black and have a few bucks to play Final Jeopardy because the guy on it right now is crushing it. He's really, really good. So it could have been him alone. I don't know if that's ever happened before. That almost happened. But for years, I've been saying what they should do is like, just let them stay and play for charity. You know, give them a little dignity. If they flamed out and end up with no money, let them stay for Final Jeopardy and say, if you get the question right, you'll an extra, you know, $3,000 will go to this X charity. You know, give them a little dignity rather than kicking them out and saying, you can't even sit here for Final Jeopardy. You know, they've had a bad day. It didn't work well. At least let them you know, yeah. try and have a little dignity. So I actually sent them off an email saying that. So we'll have to see if they adopt that. But that's my suggestion. Well, okay. Here's my question. Would you go on Jeopardy? I would have to practice a lot. I am poor okay. on geography. I could do it, but I, I could just easily have some bad stuff and be like screwed. But I, I would really need to study geography. I'd really want to study some sports. I'd really want to brush up on some. I mean, I would definitely want to do the homework like a lot of the big winners have. But yeah, I, I you know, I, I do pretty good. I can get lucky if there's good categories. I can kill it. But I have definitely have my blind spots. You should have answered uh, in the form of a question. <laughs> Oops, I'm out. Yeah, yeah. Now, wait a second. Wait a second. Big network hits can still create a lot of coin, a lot of cheddar, a lot of bank. Look at the flagship Fox drama, 911. That show was created for star Angela Bassett and is just entering its fifth season. Spinoff 911 Lone Star is also a big hit. The entire regular cast just finished negotiating pay raises and is led by Bassett at $450,000 per episode. That's very high for a drama and is likely a record for women of color. Heck, it may even be a record for men of color. It's probably a record, period. Big deal or big whoop? Uh, I think it's a big deal. There's still lots of money being made in syndication and network TV shows. There are still back ends. We're going to get to that in Inside Baseball. There's still money to be made. So uh, good to see. Now, the doctor is moving on. Doctor Who. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly right. Doctor what? Who. What? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm, I'm talking, of course, about the time traveling Doctor Who of BBC ah. fame. Yeah, that's that's yeah. He's been around since the 1960s, enjoyed a huge surge in popularity with, a, you know, that reboot in the 21st century. And uh, currently he is even a she. The current doctor played by Jodie Whittaker and the current showrunner will be moving on from the series in 2022 after three seasons and a handful of TV movies. Some ardent fans, they're calling on the doctor to take a much needed vacation. I recommend Hawaii, by the way. <laughs> uh, now, while the reviews for the current run are kind of tepid, even if you love this doctor, maybe 17 years of constant doctor is enough. That hasn't stopped everyone from speculating on who the next doctor will be. Sperling. <laughs> exactly. I've got my stethoscope. I'm pretty sure they use a stethoscope on that show, right? I mean, it's Not a doctor. So much. Nope. Nope. Okay. Sonic well, screwdriver. That's that's what he uses. Okay. But why is there a phone booth in my Keep backyard going. all Keep of a sudden? Okay. Uh, it's uh, just, uh, you know, this time around, when, when they're kind of speculating who the next doctor will be, they're asking not just who, but when. Is this a big deal or a big whoop? 
Well, it's a big whoop. They're moving on. It's been like three years has been sort of the modus operandi for recent doctors and showrunners. It makes sense. Keep it fresh. The doctor who ran for 26 years, then it took a 16-year break. It's now been running for 17 years, and I'm about to cough. (coughs) Excuse me. I think another break is definitely needed creatively. Uh, you know, it's it's hard to give a show break, but even like five years would really, really help. Look at James Bond. Now, they had a six-year break from Timothy Dalton to Pierce Brosnan and a four-year break from Brosnan to Craig. It's been six years since we saw the last Bond film, Spectre. It was only meant to be a five-year break between movies. Normally, it was like every other year. James Bond will be back. But they're bigger and more elaborate now, and they want to make them more events, so they're taking a little bit longer between movies. There'll probably be a little bit of a break between Daniel Craig and the next James Bond. Should there be a break before the next Doctor? Absolutely. Four or five years would not kill anybody. I- I'm trying to make a-, a joke about killing, but we're not at tour. You can't kill the Doctor. Situation. Yeah, exactly. But you know what you can do? Yeah? What? You You could actually get some back end. But not anymore, because it's time for Inside Baseball, where we analyze some of the headlines that have the entertainment industry buzzing. We'll explain what they mean for the business and, more importantly, how they affect you. And, of course, you had to imagine that we would be talking about back-end and Scarlett Johansson and all the back-end stuff that's been happening. Recently, AMC lost a huge case to producer and director Frank Darabont over The Walking Dead. He wanted his piece of the back-end, but AMC fired him just before he would start to automatically qualify for a cut of what was turning into a multi-billion dollar franchise. And that, by the way, that billion is with a B, not an M. So they were kind of like, how do we cut him out of that? Now, actor Scarlett Johansson is suing Disney. Why? They didn't give her the Mickey Mouse ears. She said, look, all I want in my my trailer is <laughs> Mickey Mouse ears. No, uh, she's suing because Disney took Black Widow to premium video on demand the same day it opened in theaters. Her chances of scoring a bonus when the movie hits certain targets, like, say, $600 million worldwide, are now gone. Meanwhile, Disney's stock is soaring and the studio is crowing about how great Disney Plus is doing. So she's saying, oh, you're doing great? Uh, Funny, uh, I'm not doing great. And so she's suing and she's not alone. Actor Gerard Gerard Butler, I always have trouble pronouncing his name because I want to call him Gerald. Gerald. Gerald Butler. Uh, I guess that's not his name, though. Uh, He is suing companies behind uh, Olympus Has Fallen, insisting they've Cheated him out of net profits. Net profits. To which I'd say. Net. Net. Really? I, who's net. your agent? Who's Good your Lord. agent? You should fire them. Net. No, nobody gets net anymore. Here's what uh, I want to talk about. I want to talk about Disney's scorched earth PR move against Scarlett Johansson. She filed her lawsuit, which, of course, they're not happy about because it makes them look bad. And Disney's very sensitive about its public persona. But they mocked. Scarlett Johansson publicly, they leaked her salary saying, look, we already paid her $20 million. How greedy. And then they chided her for so callously demanding more money amidst a worldwide pandemic. Like, how dare she? How dare she? Said Disney. Shame on you, said the company who apparently has no shame because they want to keep all the money for themselves. What did you, uh, my jaw dropped when I saw what Disney said. And this is not the PR people. This is the company. This is the top execs. This is this is Bob Chapek not knowing how to deal with talent. This is Bob Chapek being in the numbers area, not dealing with personalities and realizing you can't just do what you want. I just I couldn't believe it. I my jaw literally dropped 
What did you think when you heard that, when you saw what they said? Well, I mean, I, I thought that, uh, to be honest with you, I was a little shocked that they were, first of all, making her salary public because if she went public with her own, uh, you know, just said, look, here's my contract, they'd be pissed because that's under a non-disclosure agreement. She's not supposed to be doing that. Uh, and here they are kind of leaking that. But I also thought it was very, uh, you know, pointing to the pandemic and calling her calling oh, her out on that. Oh, that was just God. Like yeah. she's trying to make money during it. How dare she look at our to stock it, prices soaring as we <laughs> make Disney. But would you think they would have done this to Dwayne Johnson? Do you think they would have done this to Robert Downey Jr.? They tried to shame her publicly. I thought no way would they have done that to a man. No way. I, I don't know whether they would have done it to a man or not. I do know this that number of people that came forward and said, um, you do realize that as, as when you're saying how horrible this pandemic is, your theme parks are open. You have workers working at those theme parks. And oh, by the way, you have movies coming out in movie theaters. You basically throw movie theaters under the bus by saying, who would want to go to a movie theater when it's so dangerous? <laughs> uh, so, you know, nobody has any, any, there's no high ground here. Say, They've got yeah. no, they, they want to keep the money themselves. Like they're, it's not like they're donating it to charity. <laughs> it's like, it's a pile of money and they want as much of it as possible. And they said, oh, I can't believe she's asking for more money during a pandemic. We want to keep it. <laughs> anyway, the head of SAG after weighed in and called it gender shaming and bullying. And in fact, many women in Hollywood spoke up. Time's Up, which has problems because of what they did with Cuomo, Reframe, and Women in Film released a joint statement blasting the studio for its gendered response, essentially saying, no way would they have done this to a man. This is outrageous, leaking her salary, telling her she has no shame and how dare she ask for more money. Uh, you know, if she doesn't ask for more money, she ain't going to get it. <laughs> but Well, a, a couple of things are going on here. We're not going to discuss the legal case in depth because it's been done to done uh you know ad nauseum over the past two weeks what i will say is let's assume because we all know this to be true she went to the studio and said okay you have to pay me off like gal gadot and and uh you know patty right. jenkins got paid off by warner brothers and the studio went um hold on let me see no we're not right. going to do that right uh and so that didn't happen and so finally uh creative artist agency who represents her and everybody else uh on her team said this is the case to make we can't make it with some other players because they're not big enough. But with Scarlett Johansson, one of the biggest movie stars in the world right now, we can make this case because they're not only talking about this case. They're talking about the fact that there's not going to be any back end in the future. People are going to get paid off at least for the next five to 10 years. They're going get, to get huge upfront payments and nothing on the back end. Well, they made a huge change when Warner Brothers yanked their movies from theaters and put them on HBO Max. They had to shell out hundreds of millions of dollars. A lot of people's contracts said, I get this amount of money when it hits this level and that money with that level. And they're like, well, that's obviously not possible anymore. We don't want everyone angry at us. We already did it without telling them. So now we need to pay up. Disney said, well, there's nothing in your contract that says we can't go day and date PVOD. You know, tough, tough. Yeah. If, it makes, if, it I, makes your, if it makes your level that you get a, another big payday, great. If not, well, too bad. It didn't make it. Sorry. You know, and yeah, that's what a I think is interesting. Response. Yeah, and I think just what our uh, listeners might find interesting is we always talk about these contract clauses. Well, here's one that might be interesting is the fact that, and we've always said this, that there are clauses that say your film will be released theatrically in a certain number of screens. And sure enough, in Scarlett yeah. Johansson's case, it was no less 
than 1500 screens, which let's face it, Michael, it's a black widow movie. Yeah. 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 1500 screens. That's like, you know, Tuesday, you know, (laughs) like that's them just, you know, Hey, let's think about a a sneak preview. That's Mm -hmm. 1500 screens. But, uh, the one thing it doesn't say is the word exclusive didn't say that it would exclusively be released. Every contract down the road will certainly say that you can't go streaming day and date. And they're going to talk about windows in those contracts too. You know, you got to have a 90 day window before you can go PVOD or a 45 day window before you can do that. They're going to have that in their contract as well. I bet a Disney lawyer, some analyst said her case is a little shaky. She sued Disney because she couldn't sue Marvel because of all the switcheroos going on, the legal reasoning. Uh, but that's happening. But a Disney lawyer, after their first initial blast got blown up in their face, a Disney lawyer spoke up and said, well, their case is no legal merit. And it's just a PR pressure campaign to which I say, if it is, you're losing because <laughs> <laughs> you are not doing good on the PR campaign. But will no, there look, ever be it, a back end again? Absolutely. Yeah, I think there. Yes, I think there will be. It might take some time uh, because, of course, what will wind up happening is all of these studios, and I've talked to at least three or four different executives who said Mm -hmm. all of these studios and production companies will start paying way too much money to B-level stars. Because there's no back end, right? There's no back end, so we got to pay you more. Right. And so here's, we're, we're going to pay you like, you know, $15 million when we would have paid you five. And if the movie did well, Okay, then you would have made 15. But if it didn't do well, then guess what? We only lost five. Now it's, hey, we paid you $15 million, so we didn't have to pay you a back end. And guess what? The movie didn't do well. Now we're out $15 million. That will happen a number of times, and eventually the studios will come to some kind of equilibrium. Now, with that being said, just to finish off Scarlett Johansson, Mm -hmm. and and this is more a matter, this is kind of an industry-wide thing. This is, in a way, Disney can't back down because if they do, then then they're going to have to pay out other they actors. Can, they can back down and they should back down because they were wrong. They completely changed the understanding of how the movie would be released. They're making money in another way and they need to acknowledge that. And in the future, they will have to, you know reframe contracts differently uh, if they're going to do this and right now the people caught in the middle are the stars who were told guess what your movie hits a certain level you're going to do great you can make 50 60 million is that an insane amount of money yes but that was the contract that was the deal and they've undercut it so they got to make good and, they- and you know people forget that when you're a, a, a an actor like Scarlett Johansson and you're agreeing to be in Black Widow, you're not just agreeing to be in Black Widow. You're agreeing to be in Black Widow. One, two, three, four, five. You know, you're yeah. basically. Well, that's why, they, now, that's why they're screwing her because they almost think they're out of the Scarlett Johansson business. This is a prequel before the Avengers movies. Her character has died. Doesn't mean she couldn't be brought back. And it doesn't mean they couldn't have done a series of prequels with Black Widow off on her own adventures while she was still alive. But it's sort of set in the past. And Disney's like, yeah, we're done with that character. We don't need her anymore. You know, that's their attitude. That's why they're scorched. They're not, you know, they could scorch Earth Robert Downey Jr., right? His character's out of the movies. They're looking to a whole new future with new superheroes, not bringing back Downey Jr. and Scarlett Johansson. And so that's why they're burning their bridge. But it was a very foolish move because everybody else doing business with Disney's like, really? <laughs> that's yeah. how you feel. Well, that's good. Will there ever be a back end deal again? Yes, they'll just all be done in new ways sharing the risk has a long good history it's a smart thing to do if you want to work with some of the big stars of the world it's smarter to at some stages say all right 
We'll work with you. And if it hits certain levels of success, you're going to make more money. But let's all take a little bit of a risk together. We're not going to get you for free, but we'd rather pay you $10 million and share some of the risk. That's a good thing to do. You know, cases, you know, deals can get out of whack where you don't make any money because, you know, you've got a huge star and a huge director and a huge producer. And suddenly, you know, your movie makes a billion dollars and you're still not making money. So you always well, got to balance but, the risk here, and reward. But this, yeah, it's crazy. But here, speaking of money, what Johansson is saying, and and frankly, the lawsuit is saying, is that Disney, the Disney executives, Iger and Chapek, actually get bonuses based on the number of subscribers that they get <laughs> yeah, for Disney+. Yeah. Plus. Okay? Well, that's not it. We're, they also, their stock options are worth a lot more because it pumps up the price of the stock. So yeah, right, they're making so, money left and right when the stock goes up. But that said... The, what what she's pointing out, and, and I don't want to say she, the lawsuit is pointing out, and and frankly, the overall, I, I'm eventually getting to the unions here in this statement, is that they make money based on subscribers. In this particular case, they're making money at her expense because, or at the expense of the actors who had bonuses, because the reality is yeah. Disney is not making $200 million movies to put on Disney+. Plus. Okay, that's just not what they're doing. However, due to the pandemic, they had an opportunity to do that. And they're doing it in a way that actually semi makes them money, which is through this PVOD oh. way. N now, all of the unions are saying, wait a second, wait a second. The people that are really going to benefit from this, are the much like record companies, are the executives at these record, at, right. sorry, at these movie studios. How do we avoid the record label problem and the musician problem and start getting paid for the success of the label, or in this case, the movie studio itself? Because that's what's happening here is it's not about, oh, the project did well. It's about the studio did well on the back of the release. Exactly. And you can see that happening now because SAG-AFTRA is in the middle of a new board of, you know, they're electing a new board and a new president, and they're all talking about this. They're all talking about how are we going to get paid fairly so that you don't have someone like um, Bob Chapek making $500 million off the back of these subscribers when we're making, you know, yeah. our fees. Right, right. Like Bob, Bob Iger made almost $50 million in his pay package in 2019 before the pandemic. So to look at a star and say, how dare you ask for more than 20 million when you're making 50 million? Bob Iger's not in charge anymore, of course, but I'm just looking at that as the most recent salary. So like, give me a break. <laughs> but by yeah. the way, breaking news, NATO, the National Association of Theater Owners, has said they will not object to theaters being required to check vaccination proof. So that's happening in New York. It's about to happen in L.A., and they've decided not to take a position, and they won't object. They won't try and block those proposed rules. I don't know why they would even think of trying to block those proposed rules. They should embrace them and say, great, because it doesn't mean they have to do it. They can just say, oh, no, the city's making us do it. So they get absolved of blame, and they just got to look at a card. It's easy. It's simple. It's, you know, let's get it done. It'll keep people in the theaters and feel them safe and more comfortable. So I'm glad they're not objecting. They should have embraced it wholeheartedly. Yeah, I think that was, uh, yeah, I mean, I haven't read uh, the statements yet, so uh, I will have to to see what the, the exact statement said. That's why we call it breaking news. And breaking news, more people die. Two weeks. I will try to be quick. But we don't want to wait until people die before we celebrate them. Wes Studi, great actor, honorary Oscar, hit a really good profile in GQ uh, by Tommy Orange, who's a, a very good writer. And it's well worth checking out. we got a link in our show notes. Uh, I thought it was really good really well worth checking out. Uh, he's an older person, obviously. He's still working, 
Uh, but, you know, he's getting on in years, and I don't want to say, oh, let's wait till he dies before we say how great he is. Cool to have this profile of him, not really pegged to anything in particular, just a great in-depth profile of, you know, one of the most important Native American actors of all time and, and a great actor, period. But some people did die, like child star Jane Withers. She died at the age of 95. And when somebody dies, Sperling and I look through all the different obits to try and find the good tidbits, the interesting stuff. You might read one and go, oh, it's kind of a boring, nothing much interesting. But Hollywood Reporter had a really good obit on her that had a lot of stuff that other people didn't. Sometimes it's the New York Times. Sometimes it's Variety. Sometimes it's Deadline. This time it was the Hollywood Reporter. So full credit to them for doing a really good obit about child star Jane Withers. Among her many fun moments, at the age of four, she had her own radio show in Atlanta. Uh, in 1933, she appeared opposite W.C. Fields in the movie It's a Gift, a classic, and he complimented her work. He said, hey, this kid's going to go far. Uh, she starred as an obnoxious girl torturing Shirley Temple in 1933's Bright Eyes. At one point, she tells the little Muppet, there ain't any Santa Claus because my psychoanalyst told me. <laughs> Which is a great it's line a great- for a little girl. Shirley Temple was scared of her, but they became friends. At 14, she cold called Republic Pictures and asked them to loan out Gene Autry for a Western. They did. She got a writing credit as a teenager during the war. She held lots of war bond rallies and sent her collection of 3,500 dolls, most of them sent her by fans, out on tour so kids could pay to look at Jane Withers' doll collection. They paid a dime, and they raised more than a million bucks for the war. She left the biz but was lured back in for the movie Giant by director George Stevens. She became friends with Jimmy Dean, laundered his favorite pink cowboy shirt every day. She was holding it for him when he went off on a road trip, and of course he died, and she still has that shirt to this day. And in the 60s, she became Jane the Plumber for the TV commercials touting Comet. Jane the Plumber ran for like 12 years, from 1963 to 74. You can see the videos on YouTube. That sent Comet from number five in the category to number one. And most recently, she did a voice in Disney's The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Pretty cool. Nice, long career. Well, and she was married to a singer uh, in The Four Freshmen. And speaking of musicians, uh, ZZ Top bassist Dusty Hill died. One of the beards. <laughs> That's right. One of the two beards. I didn't know. Yeah. So Dusty and guitarist Billy Gibbons grew really long beards, but the drummer, who was named Frank Beard, did not get a beard. Go figure. <laughs> well, could you imagine drumming with a beard like that long? You'd be like, ah, this is in my way. I can't. <laughs> That's right. He's got bass and he knows how to use it. They were hit from the start. They opened for the Stones. They were so big, successful as a touring act, they took a three-year break and reunited at the end of the 70s and picked up right where they left off. But Dusty, the bassist who just died, he added synthesizers to their mix of bluesy rock and roll and double entendres, and the result was MTV Stardom and the album Eliminator, which sold more than 10 million copies and made them stadium draws forever. Despite their raucous image with, you know, she's got legs and knows how to... The group did not party hard, and they remained friends for 50 years. Dusty told the Charlotte Observer back in 2015, people ask how we've stayed together so long. I say separate tour buses. We got separate tour buses early on when we probably couldn't afford them. That way, we were always glad to see each other when we got to the next city. That's why Sperling and I live in different coasts. It works. That's right. Yeah, I was. I, I tried to make. I tried to make uh, Hawaii work, but boy, the time zone just goes Ooh, way off. That's bad. But wait, there's more. Marky Post. 
Oh, Marky Post. She was so cute in Night Court. She died of cancer at the age of 70 after a long battle with, with, uh, with cancer. And for 15 straight years, she, she was on three different TV shows. Two of them were huge hits. From 1982 to 1985, she played a bail bondswoman on the Lee Majors action comedy, The Fall Guy. It was a top 30 hit when she left it, and she joined the sitcom Night Court as a public defender. So she was kind of working her way up the legal system, I guess. Yeah. Uh, she uh, she stayed there from 1985 through 1982, 1992, which is actually a long run for a sitcom. I mean, think about it. That After that, the, she, she joined ju- in the third season, too. Yeah. Uh, so she, she jumped right into the political comedy Hearts of Fire. Remember that show? I do vaguely. It got good reviews, but didn't do very well. Yeah, she uh, was uh, on that with John Ritter. That's right. She was liberal. He was conservative. They worked for a senator. It was very political and timely. It lasted three seasons, but quickly fell out of the top 30. Still, that's a pretty darn good run, and she worked regularly throughout her entire career. And, of course, Charlie Robinson from Night Court also just died recently, so it's the course of Night Court. No, it's uh, you know lovely careers, and that's certainly the high point for both of them. But wait, there's more. Merengue legend Johnny Ventura died at the age of 81. Juan de Dios Ventura Soriano, a.k.a. Johnny Ventura of the Dominican Republic, became a merengue legend with a series of hit singles that added a spice of rock and roll to traditional merengue. He was dubbed the Elvis of merengue. He won six Latin Grammys, including a Lifetime Achievement Award. So at 16, he won a talent contest. Don't make fun of American Idol. Then he toured with a bunch of bands before striking out on his own. Nicknamed El Caballo Mayor, Ventura's hits included Merenguero Hasta la Tambora and Pitasta, among others. He performed with all the salsa greats, including Celia Cruz, who was like a big sister to him. Azuka. He was so beloved, Ventura was even elected mayor of Santo Domingo. Did he actually do the job? Or was he, he just like, hey, no, no, he, married, married. he did the job. Yeah, no. But wait, oh, there's amazing. more. What? Anna Gross? Oh, Anna Gross died at 68. Oh, I didn't know that. Uh, again, from a long battle with cancer. Her, in her career, Gross dove into the deep end, starring, uh, well, I guess she was with Dino De Laurentiis forever, on everything from Charles Bronson's De- Death Wish to the 1976 King Kong and then Ragtime. That's a good movie. Then she jumped to a position with director Sidney Pollack, uh, starting with The Electric Horseman, and then helping to develop and produce both Out of Africa and Tootsie. So she was kind of a hack. I mean, it's one of my favorite comedies of all time. Great, yeah. great movie. And then she, she moved to Germany on The NeverEnding Story and The Name of the Rose, two films which were much bigger hits in the rest of the world than they were in the U.S., although I'll tell you, NeverEnding Story still gets watched here in uh, the U.S. I mean, it, people like that movie. NeverEnding no- Story. I wasn't going to sing it, but thank right. you for... Uh, yeah. uh, then another Italian phase the, with uh, Gross working closely on three Oscar winners, including Mediterraneo, Il Postino, and Life is Beautiful. God, oh, that is an amazing run. Not to mention, she did a Bronx Tale with Robert De Niro. You want to talk about a career. Somebody should be writing a book about her. But wait, there's more. Anna Gross stood on the shoulder of giants, people like film exec Marsha Nassiter, who just died at the age of 95. Nassiter became the first woman to be a VP of production in Hollywood. That's pretty awesome. In that position, Nassiter worked on two back-to-back Best Picture winners, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Rocky. She began as a literary agent, where, of course, she was the only woman at the agency. That's what happens when you break down barriers. And she repped both William Goldman and Robert Town, two of the great screenwriters of all time. 
Then she jumped to story editor at United Artists, where obviously she worked on those two films, working her way up the ranks. Along with One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest and Rocky, she also worked on Apocalypse Now, Carrie, Coming Home, Three Days of the Condor. Later, she moved to New York and really championed The Big Chill. She was an executive producer on that movie. She made it happen. She found it in the slush pile when working for Johnny Carson and just said, if I can't get this movie made, it's commercial, it's easy to shoot, it's got great roles for a bunch of great young up-and-coming actors, this is crazy. And she made it happen, huge success. And then she formed her own production company, pivoted to PV work, PV work, TV work. And her story was told in the 2016 documentary, A Classy Broad. Did you ever see it? Did you know her? I. I, I did not know her. I know of her, of course. How could you not? Uh, and she uh, was always credited with discovering Kevin Costner. She was like, that guy, cast him as the dead guy. <laughs> That's right. He was the body in The Big Chill. There were flashback scenes where he and his friends hung out together, but they were all cut out of the movie. It just didn't work. So all you saw in the movie was like his wrist with um, stitches from a suicide uh, being uh prepared for the coffin that was all that you saw of kevin and they felt so bad They're like we'll make it up to you we'll make it up to you and ended up putting him in silverado and that was one of his first big breaks along with fandango a nice little movie but they they stuck to their word and they were right he was a big star but wait there's more inventor what? and marketer ron Peel oh. died at the age of 86 if you say who well that's understandable but the TV direct marketing guy was hugely influential and certainly had a big impact on commercials. He founded the company Ronco, a name any kid of a certain age will remember fondly. An endless series of ads promoting the Showtime rotisserie, set it and forget it, and countless other gadgets soon followed. Ron was following in the footsteps of his dad, who invented the Chopomatic and the Vegematic. I remember them. Ron helped sell them literally in stores standing there 12 hours a day then he sold them to major chains then he helped sell them on tv then he went out on his own and competed with his dad in the 1970s awkward per the new york times <laughs> he described his relationship with his dad as all business i love this i love this his dad's name is samuel in 1974, this is just an aside, his father's second wife, Eloise, was convicted of attempting to hire two men to murder Samuel, Ron Papil's dad. After serving 19 months of her sentence, she was released and the couple remarried. <laughs> now that's love. <laughs> okay, honey, I forgive you. You know, you burnt the roast. Uh, you cheated on me. You hired two men to try to kill me. And yet he said, you know what? I love you. <laughs> that's amazing you know what though and and for those who don't live in the united states and who may not know who ron popeil is well we're telling the, them the the phrase as seen on tv on on a package or on a a product usually came from something that ron popeil was trying to sell you on late night television like these like like 14 minute commercials and and by the way it's also the reason why Michael, and I didn't get this until the very end, he keeps saying, but wait, there's more. Because those commercials always had, you know, we're not just going to give you the Vegematic, but wait, there's more. We'll give you this, this second, set of steak a knives. second Vegematic and a steak knife. <laughs> Ron also invented that catchphrase, which by law must be used in every late night infomercial. I didn't know that. He used it to sell the runaway bestseller, the Showtime Rotisserie, the Dialomatic, and the Ronco Pocket Fisherman, which I remember, among lots oh, of other stuff that seemed hugely important to own when you are awake at one in the morning and or stoned. 
<laughs> he, he did stuff like the food dehydrator, the bedazzler, the portable smokeless ashtray, the kitchen magician, the inside the egg scrambler, and my favorite, Mr. Microphone. Hey, good looking. We'll be back to pick you up later. That was in one of the ads. He sold a lot of stuff. Some of it was junk, but some of it was pretty good. You know, who knows? But he's now dead. And we can only hope that after he died, Ron Popeil then heard a voice that said, but wait, there's more. One more thing. <laughs> oh, brother. Did he sue uh, Steve Jobs for that line? <laughs> uh, maybe he got money. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Uh, you know what? Uh, we're going to have one more thing next week, Sweet. actually, on our next episode. But uh, you know what? You should, should, you should subscribe to our show in yeah. iTunes, the Google Play it. Store. Yeah, rate it, review it, uh, subscribe to it, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere they give podcasts away for free, you can usually find our show. And if you can't, please let us know. In fact, you can write to us, dirt at showbizsandbox.com. That's D-I-R-T at showbizsandbox.com. Or you can call and leave us a voicemail. The number to call is 888-567-SAND. That's 888-567-7263. You can also follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at showbizsandbox, or like us on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Showbiz Sandbox. The music that you hear at the beginning and end of each show is by the popular indie rock group MGMT. You know, we have a website where all of that information can be found. All links to all of the stories that we've discussed on today's episode. They can be found on our website, ShowbizSandbox.com. That's where you'll find those ways to subscribe to us, ways to contact us, ways to follow us on Twitter. Well, again, ShowbizSandbox.com is our website. Well, guess what? MGMT has a website. And it is whoismgmt.com. Every week, Michael Giltz has a website, and every week it's something new and exciting. What is it this week, Michael? Well, as seen on TV.com is taken. So, of course. And I actually, like, oh, that looks kind of cool. They have a bunch of stuff. I'm like, oh, the little sliders for the bottom of the furniture. Those look pretty handy. Uh, but no, you should go to scarletdeserveseverypenny.com, which is probably not taken unless her agency is. Really covering, right every, covering every base. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? If you can't find any of Michael's coverage of the entertainment industry on that website, why not try michaelgiltz.com where all of his work is aggregated? Some of my work can be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Someday some of my work will be found on celluloidjunkie.com. Exactly. Someday. I can dream, <laughs> can I? <laughs> well, you know, maybe check back next week. In oh, fact, God, until next say week. That. Say nice. <laughs> Uh, until next week play nice